the Relaxed Dog Podcast. The podcast where the dogs are the stars of the show. Welcome to the Relaxed Dog Podcast. Brought to you by the Relaxed Dog. Hi, I'm your host, Robert Ober. And in this week's dog news, there's play, and then there's, well, a lady in Idaho thought it was a good idea to put on a pair of boxing gloves and proceeded to punch out her German Shepherd. Authorities are investigating. On much more positive news, an Australian coolie working in Queensland University's Detection Dogs for Conservation team has so far found over 100 sick or injured koalas in the bushfire-affected areas of New South Wales and Queensland. And his name? Bear. Okay, so settle back and listen to this week's interview with Stu Jones, a local trainer who runs Barefoot Paws, and he is going to tell us all about life with Coda and a few other bits. Welcome to the podcast, Stu. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And um, I hear you're going to tell me all about Coda. Yeah, Coda. Uh, so Coda is an Alaskan Malamute. She's uh, a dog that I'm quite fond of, is, uh, is fair to say. We've had uh, a decent journey. She's six now. Um, and, uh, yeah, she's, she's a show-line dog, so she has a lot of the bad features from a show-line dog. She has a really <laughs> nice fluffy coat, and I can get a show bag full of fur out of it every time I brush her. Mm-hmm. Um, I could I could spend an hour brushing her, and then an hour later I'll do the same thing. I'll get just as much fur off of her. So, gone are the days of a clean household. It's oh, fur up. everywhere. <laughs> what do you you got anything special you do with the fur? I keep promising myself that I'm going to fill some sort of a snow jacket up or <laughs> turn it into pillows or something. But uh, no, I never do. Okay. I have I have attempted to use it as possum deterrent before. And it did mm-hmm. work. Oh, okay. So I've got a, got a vertical garden on the, on the back balcony. And uh, we, we were growing some good stuff. But as soon as it was coming close to, to be harvestable, obviously the possums are coming up and they were smashing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had a plastic bag full of coat of fur. So I just put it on the back deck. And up he comes late at night, grunting and groaning that there's a dog up there. And... <laughs> He, he left for a long time, but then eventually he came back again. Yeah. <laughs> he, he had the fur pegged. Till the wind yeah. blows through. Yeah. yeah. Oh, he, he figured out there was nothing up there. <laughs> so I'm going to uh, just take us back a little bit. So how did you and Coda meet? So we did have another Alaskan Malamute, Miss, uh, Mishka. Uh, she passed at uh, not quite 14. And uh, my wife is really quite into the Malamutes. Mm-hmm. So I did some research. I found myself um, a, a pretty decent breeder. Uh, and down, I think she was down at Murrum Bateman. I can't remember now. Um, but it was a long way south anyway. So we made the road trip down there. 
um, we had a look at their dogs and they had, it was her last breeding. So she had, I think she had two litters on the ground and the combined puppy numbers was 24. Mm. And I thought, well, that's going to make a really sociable dog later on. So I've already got myself in a good position there. Um, during that time as well, we had a pretty big superstorm come through and they got smashed with it as well. So during the early imprinting phases of Coda's life, she was subjected to um, some pretty big lightning, thunder, high winds, torrential downpours, those sorts of things. And I thought, well, again, this is hedging a bet. So like these dogs or mm-hmm. these puppies, by the time they get, get to adulthood, they're going to be pretty reliable. Like they're, they're going to be pretty rock solid. Yep. And there's not much that phases her. So. Oh, excellent. Um, but, yeah, so that, that took care of a, a lot of issues. Um, and the breeder was, as soon as the, the puppies were being weaned away from their mum, she was already giving them raw food and stuff. So they were already being introduced to chicken wings and drumsticks and that sort mm-hmm. of stuff. So there was um, just lots of really promising good things from that breeder. And, um, yeah, Coda certainly didn't disappoint. So, But they're not breeding them anymore. They've moved over to a different breed. But, um, yeah, Coda's like, she doesn't scare much. That makes so much difference when they've got such a a, a positive start in life mm. and a and a well educated breeder. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think a lot of people make the mistake of and you used like some really good words there. A lot of people make the mistake of believing that positive must equal good, um, whereas really positive is supposed to equal beneficial. And I mean, a storm is a scary thing, but if a puppy can endure the scary thing to get to something that's nice, then that creates a pretty resilient dog later oh, on. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, yeah. And as she grew, like, um, so she's about six months older than my eldest daughter. Mm-hmm. So she had six months um, of puppy development going on at our place. And during that period, we had we were getting our house redone. So we had some pretty big renos. We used to just have a double garage downstairs. That's now an open sort of space living room. And um, so we had loads of tradies come through, lots of power tools, all sorts of stuff going on. Um, and again, she wasn't phased by it. I think every now and again, she would find a way of sneaking upstairs and she'd go into the sunroom and she would just hide out there for a little while. You could tell that by the little parcels that she left every now and again. <laughs> um, but hey, she's a puppy, so whatever. Mm-hmm. But uh, the the builder, it, it came towards the end of the build. So Coda at this stage, she didn't have any issues with, with any of the people floating around. But the builder gave me a phone call and he's like, mate, I, I've never seen this before. I really don't know what to do. And I'm like, well, something's wrong with the house. You know, this is going to be expensive. And he says, your dog is eating the concrete that I've just laid for your hot water heater. <laughs> I've, ne- I've never seen that before. So it's not a huge amount of concrete, but my dog is sitting there literally eating the concrete. And he's ringing me up, totally confused. I said, well, why are you letting her? <laughs> she's only a few months old, man. She's not fully grown. Just pick her up and take her away, like this section thing. Else. But, yeah, so she's um, – I don't know whether her toughness is because she ate the concrete okay, or yeah, she yeah. had good breeding or good imprinting <laughs> earlier on. I don't know. She's, she's, uh, she's pretty tough. 
That's probably, yeah, yeah I was, was going to say now, usually towards the end of the interview, I'll ask a question or, or ask you to, you to complete the sentence. I can't believe my dog ate. Oh, <laughs> and no, I've got a couple of better ones. You've got right. better ones than concrete. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, okay, I'll, I'll ask it again later. Then. <laughs> <laughs> no worries. But, uh, yeah, so she had a pretty eventful sort of upbringing. Um, eventful as in just the amount of stuff that was going on. Mm-hmm. Um, so... Yeah, and because of all that, she's she's pretty relaxed. She she doesn't phase out to terribly much. Um, How did she go being six months, got to say, getting settled into your home, and then yeah. baby? And baby. Well, <laughs> fortunately, her owner is is pretty pretty good with dogs. Mm-hmm. So when I came home after um, our first daughter was born. I came home with a swaddle and a, and a bunch of, uh, obviously, some of the rags and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and I kind of introduced the smell to codes. And I've got some videos on, on my, my page, actually, where you can, you can see the, the very gradual introduction of baby to dog. Oh, excellent. And because, because I had it structured and because I had a plan on how to do it rather than um, some of the worst-case situations is, hey, here's the swaddle, here's the baby smell, go and take it and run with it, and then the dog just sits there and, <laughs> and rips this thing apart. And like, yeah, the, the clock's ticking now, right? It, mm-hmm. the, the smell is a toy. The smell is linked to a food source. Yeah. So, whereas with codes, it was a case of here's the smell, and she'd smell it, and then the next phase of investigation is to lick it and... Um, I'd simply told her that that's inappropriate. She can smell it, but she can't taste it. And mm-hmm. after that, everything was fine. She never tried to grab a hold of the rag. She never tried to be sneaky or strategic about it. She just went, okay, I'm supposed to smell this. That's cool. Okay. This is pretty interesting. Nice. Pair yep. it with something nice. And she instantly then has um, the ability to be interested, but not compelled to go and investigate too much. Mm-hmm. Um, so we did have a couple of sessions like that. And this is like a, four or five o'clock in the morning after my wife's gone through the hard work of um, giving birth and I've just gone along for the ride and done whatever dads are supposed to do. So we're all pretty tired. Um, but then as, yeah, as Millie came home, it's just the same things, but now you're not using the swaddle. So she, Millie and Coda were never in the same room to start with, which is easy for us because we've got a two-story place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so mum and baby are upstairs and Coda is downstairs. That's an easy way of isolating them, especially when mum's doing the 10 o'clock, the 1 o'clock, the 3 o'clock, the 5 o'clock feeds. Like you don't need the stress of having someone else just in your face the whole time trying to check the baby out. Um, so we set it up nicely so that everyone can have their calm time, everyone can have their downtime, and we can keep the stress levels as low as possible for as long as possible. Um, and then we brought them together, but they weren't allowed. Well, obviously, Millie wasn't doing terribly much. She, she couldn't mm-hmm. really move too much. Uh, but Coda was allowed to be around. She could smell. She could look. But, again, she couldn't touch and she couldn't come close. And then the novelty effect is kind of over. So, like anything that we want to get that's new, there's a huge novel effect to it. So, we're really into it. Coda got over that without ever touching the baby. Then things are more normal. Mm-hmm. And then we can get her to come up and actually have a sniff because then – that peak of excitement is gone. Mm. Um, And then, yeah, then it's been fine ever since. So as long as you're intentional about it in the front end, the Mm -hmm. rest of it will follow. Yeah. 
but obviously having a plan to start with helps. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah. So you got through the uh, the concreting phase and all that sort of stuff for your house renos? Yeah, got through all of those. Um, then a little while after that, she started, she did start to get a, uh, as she hit that pubescent phase, um, because she, she's fairly tough emotionally, but she's quite dominant socially. So if a dog was kind of barking, she would take it upon her the pubescent self to um, attempt to put them in the right place. So essentially <laughs> mm-hmm. I had a Malamute who's uh, not quite a year old doing backflips at the end of the lead. So I had to, um, at, at the time, I was doing a fair bit of training, um, but I wasn't anything like I am now. And I, that's when I started to really take things seriously about um, behaviour and getting the, the best out of um, what you have. Um, and she kind of started that journey into professional dog training. Um, so like a car, anyone with enough enthusiasm can fix a car. Mm-hmm. A mechanic will do it so much quicker, so much cheaper, so mm-hmm. much more reliable. Yeah, um, Same sort of thing, so... But uh, yeah, she started that whole that whole journey, which was yeah a pretty big ride to go on. Pretty steep learning curve. Yeah, big switch in in professional direction from what you were doing before. Yeah, due to, yeah, due to basically the, the love of Coda. Yeah, totally. So I've, I've got a, uh, a background in electronics, and I've I worked with like BMW, Rolls Royce, and that sort of stuff. So I've got a um, a, a pretty colourful background and. Uh, I enjoyed a pretty a pretty decent career, but then, uh, like any job, at some point it's not the work itself; it's the politics and the bureaucracy behind it. I was getting mm-hmm. phased out by it. I didn't really want to be uh, doing that sort of stuff anymore. Um, Coda came along, and she kind of sparked a uh, a big fire inside, and that kind of developed into a something more than just a hobby that turned into a jobby pretty quickly. Um, and then it turned into a job. Wow. But, uh, yeah, the evolution's been pretty good. And mm-hmm. then through through that deep relationship with her, it has allowed me to go from um, that old type of or that traditional type of dog training where look, you're looking at the end result and how you get there doesn't matter. Just get that reliability, which doesn't tend to be too nice. Um, but then because you've got a vested interest, you want the welfare of, of your dog, you learn to become more subtle and you learn that um, it's not all about constraint, but there's a certain amount of liberty there. So it's not all obedience. It's also hanging out with your bestie. It's going out and exploring the world or doing whatever, and it's hard to do that when you're telling your dog exactly what to do every single time. Absolutely. Um, yeah. You've got to let so, dogs be dogs a lot of the time. Yeah, yeah, and that's a, a an issue that I see with a with a lot of with a lot of clientele is um, is my dog allowed to do this? Is my dog allowed to do that? Your dog can do whatever you, you let them do. Well, the rules are up to you. That's my job to give you the tools to be able to make sure that you can enforce those rules if you have to, and teach those rules when you want to. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but uh, yeah. If you're not able to allow your dog, in my opinion, to explode and be that savage predator that they were born to be, even your Cavalier <laughs> King Charles, yeah, 
Um, if they can't be a dog and go nuts being a dog, then I kind of question what lifestyle can they truly enjoy? Um, and that's where I tend to see the most amount of behavioral issues is when we, we treat our dogs like, like something we want to have around, but we don't want to have them around too much. Yeah. So I don't, I want, I want the fluffiness I want the cute stuff, but I don't want the dog stuff. And then, <laughs> then I've got to rely on a lot of pressure to make that happen. And in the end, I end up with an apologetic looking Snoopy doll. And I don't know, that's not for me. We go back to uh, Coda. Yep. And I think we're around what, just after the adolescent phase. Yeah. So after the adolescent phase, um, we, we'd gotten her, um, her social issues under wraps. So she didn't feel the need to go, and uh, put everyone in their place anymore. She could happily <laughs> let them be. She could go and play and be social without having to first go, right, okay, I don't need to be at the top. I just need to be in in around that echelon of <laughs> social <laughs> uppityness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's where she tends to gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. Um, and with her, uh, I ended up doing like a couple of courses and stuff um, over the, the time. So I had... I'd initially started with uh, the Keeler method of dog training. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. Oh, I that's, have, um, yes. Yeah, so that, that's, that's how we started, which is a great method, but it does rely on a fair amount of um, uh, compulsion to get things going. She took that pretty well, and then I kind of looked at the end product and thought, this is really not what um, it's good to know, but it's not what I want. It's not the life I envisage for codes. So we started to look at other things like how to get her out of herself. So we started to do a lot of play work, a lot of tug, a lot of hunting, a lot of that sort of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, I threw away the food bowl. I chucked away most of the toys that she doesn't play with anyway. I kept a few of them. I'll only feed her through foraging and hunting and, and those sorts of things. So she's constantly enriched. Great boredom buster because now instead of – just lounging out in the sun or occasionally sniffing for something. She can always get up. She can go to the yard. She can sniff around for food and she loves food. She loves the hunt. She loves the, the idea of problem solving for that last piece of kibble that she's left somewhere around. So take her on uh, lots of outside bushwalks. Yeah. Well, the, the, for, fortunately at the time when she was, it was only actually up until a couple of years ago, just up the, the road from me, there was a, uh, or there is a reserve and everybody takes their dogs up there and, and walks them. But it's a nice area where there's, there's never too many people and you can go up there. There's a couple of wallabies floating around. Um, there's a kidnas and that sort of stuff. So you can do some bird washing. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. go out and have fun. Um, it's a great place for Coda to go out and she can do her sniffing and all that sort of stuff. And she can run around and she can go, she can go bird go up there. Bit of wallaby chasing. Uh, she has done, yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Can relate yeah, to that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, uh, you can't always test for everything, and that's how I found out that there's wallabies up there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> relate to that. You go through the, uh, you know, whatever 10, 15 seconds that get that feel like 10, 15 minutes to think, <laughs> mm-hmm. um, you're coming back any second now. Where are yeah. you? And then, yeah, <laughs> Marley's yeah. run back, you know, big smile, run around, does a quick victory <laughs> lap. That was fun. Can I do it again? <laughs> Give me another one of those. Yeah. <laughs> 100%. But she's, um, she's pretty fast. Now, we, we had done some nose work. I did some formal nose work with her a little while ago. Mm-hmm. 
and I'm doing it on my own now. Um, but in order to teach her that right now is the time that you go and hunt, I just I put a bell on a collar. So every time she gets the tinkle, 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 she's like, oh, I'm on, it's hunting time. And you, okay, yeah, it, nice it, marker. It works, man. It's, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's perfect. It's a perfect clock on because I could just wrap this thing around the collar. She instantly knows, okay, bang, I've got to get on board now. So mm-hmm. she pumps up, she's super stoked. And then when we're finished, I can take the bell off. And um, then she calms down. And that worked really well for a little while. <laughs> but she's, she is an amazing predator. And she's like an owl in the bush. You don't know she's there. She's, she's anywhere between 30 and 40 kilos, right? She's, she's a decent-sized dog. And Malamutes aren't known to be the most graceful of dogs. There's <laughs> far more. Like, when you watch dogs run, this thing is a tank. But when she's on the prowl, you don't know she's there. Like that mm. sable fur she's got camouflages into the Aussie bush like you wouldn't believe. But she also figured out how to turn the bell off. So <laughs> it, like, I used to go up to this scout hall up in Newcastle and we would, we would train up there and she would turn the bell off on the floorboards. So she just she changed the whole – she sinks her body down a little bit so her, her legs are always in flexion. They're never extended. She slows herself down enough so that the bell didn't tinkle and because she's got all of that fur, like okay. it didn't matter where I put it, she just figure it out and she just keep her head relatively level and that bell wouldn't make a sound anymore. So I'm like, well, that's useless. Chuck <laughs> 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 <Yeah, yeah, yeah. laughs> that away. So I ended up just getting her a, a big thick collar. I thought that'll do because a part of the reason why I wanted the bell was not just as a, a clock on and a clock off signal for it, but also – if I take her out in the scrub somewhere, I want to hear her. No way she is. Because yeah. I have, like, a, she, if she does hear something and she goes to investigate it, man, I've lost her for a couple of minutes before and she's literally ended up behind us. <laughs> Never heard her. You don't hear her crashing through the bush. You don't hear her, like, plodding along behind you or anything like that. She just happens to turn up. <laughs> when she leaves, it's a, it's a great big hollow blue. Yeah. So, yeah, she's, uh, she's pretty smart, as in that she knows how to... She knows what the outcome of a hunt is supposed to be. She's been pretty successful at that, just around the yard, because we um, we invariably try to grow our own food, and because we border onto national parks, there's various animals that will come in and harvest that food at some point or another. So um, Coda will often try to snatch them and eat them. But uh, so she's she's figured out because she's quite big, she's got to be really good at stalking and and slowly moving up to her quarry in order to be able to ambush them. She doesn't mm-hmm. have that top end speed and acceleration, but um, so you tend to know when there's a possum out and about because she scratches up the floorboards doing a burnout and then she's outside super quiet. <laughs> so we, we do a fair bit of bushwalking with her, mm-hmm. take her out into Arimbura or up into the Wadigans now. Um, and we go out there and uh, I've always had this dream of turning her into a deer tracking dog. Okay, that's, that's, that's something different. Still, still something that I want to do. Um, and you go at the right times into somewhere near the right places and, and there's lots of deer floating around on the coast. Hey? Mm-hmm. There's so many and there's such beautiful animals. To be able to take codes up there and track some deer, um, that would be really cool. That would be a really sweet experience um, for the both of us because um, she be she's able to fulfil her sense as a predator and I'm able to fulfil my sense as a wannabe photographer. But uh, I don't know if you've had, ever heard of shed hunting. Have you ever heard of that? Shed hunting? 
No, no, that's something I haven't. Yeah, so I, I think that this is something that can take off around here on the coast. Um, essentially, use your dogs to find the shed antlers of a deer. So okay. that's where the shed hunting comes yep. from. Mm-hmm. The, the deer shed their horns every year, yep. and there are guys in uh, it's something that's really, really big in the States at the moment. Okay. Um, and, and there are guys that take their dogs out and they've literally collected the horns of the same animal. You can tell because of the, the way that the, the patterns of the horns are growing. Um, they've also photographed the deer with the horns on. Mm-hmm. And they've collected these horns over a series of successive years. Right? So they've, they've gotten these matched pairs of horns to this particular animal and you're just kind of tracking them over the years that they're alive. Okay. Um, and you can... I think also from a conservation perspective, you're not allowed to hunt deer outside no, I was just of gonna say specific this. hunting grounds. You're keeping um, everybody happy because you're not after a, a live animal. You're picking up what's exactly. getting left in the forest. Exactly. So you, you're just going out there and you're finding these shed antlers. Mm. And from a conservation perspective, if you geolocate that, so you mark out the GPS, all of a sudden you've got some scientific data to be able to prove where these deer are hanging out, mm-hmm. the state of the deer population, those sorts of things. Because everybody knows that the deers aren't hanging around the hunting grounds. <laughs> Why would you? It's a high-pressure environment. You move off somewhere else. Yeah, okay. Um, yeah, no, so, there you go. I've learned something. And, yeah. <laughs> like I think it's... And, and people want to do stuff with their dogs and any dog can do it. Right? Mm-hmm. Your pity can go and do it, right? Your, your Jack Russell Terrier can go and do it. Your Cavalier King Jahals can go and do it. They can yeah. all do that sort of stuff. They just need someone to be able to teach them what they're looking for and what to do when they get Absolutely. there. Absolutely. Um, I think in the last probably six months or so, yeah, the, just the word nose work is mm. really, really booming. Yeah, a, yeah, totally. And a few people selling selling kits, and a few more mm-hmm. people are sort of like just just word of mouth. And yeah. like you just said, any dog, every dog's got a nose, and they all know how to use it. Yeah, and they're so powerful. Like, um, it'd be interesting for your audience. Like, the dog's nose surpasses our current technological capabilities. So, a dog can detect cancer way before medicine can at the moment. Yep. Like uh, our technology is only in the parts per so many um, billion, but a dog's nose can detect parts per so many trillion. Like it's, it's a big difference. Absolutely. You know? um, so the shed hunting, the, no- then the nose works is something I'm pretty big into. Um, I think that if you're not, if you're not getting the dog to use the nose, I think that um, they kind of, they don't lead the life they could be leading. Like that's a big part of their brain. That's yeah. something that um, for the average dog owner that they don't realise that uh, when the dog does fulfil that, that seeking, so, uh, that, that mission, how much yep. it even, it tires them out, it tires their brain yeah. out it, and yeah. uh, just uh, the fulfilment, like you said, is, is what they really want. Yeah. Benef- benefit for everything. Yeah, and, 100%. You can turn... Um, I took, uh, I've not long adopted a, a foxhound, uh, so I've had him for about a month now and he's, he's a nightmare. He's hardcore. He's a, he's a very high driven dog, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly what I want, but I can literally wear him out 
in half an hour by taking him for a walk. And that's just by letting him sniff that this, when I go and take him to daycare, so he's there from 7.30 in the morning till 3 o'clock in the afternoon. He never stops. He <laughs> clocks up an unbelievable amount of kilometers and he's running the whole time. He's playing the whole time. But in an eighth of the time, I can, I can wear him out for the whole day by taking him for a walk. And, he, mm. and it's all because he's using his nose. Mm-hmm. So if, if we can convince more people to get invested and to, I think that people would see the power of a dog's nose and they would kind of lose themselves in that. I mean, you can have all sorts of fun. You can hide members of your family in the house and go oh, find, yeah. you know, go, go, go find them. I've lost my watch again. You need to go find that. I've lost my yep. keys again. Where are they? Go find them. You can have fun with that. that Absolutely. Sort of stuff. Your, your yeah, dog yeah. is being fulfilled as a dog at the same time. Yeah, treats and kibbles and anything else. Don't mm. just give it to them. Make them work for it. Yeah. And give yeah, them enjoyment. Give them enjoyment to get them the yeah. reward. That that's it. I mean, a lot of people will, will say the same things, like, "Oh, you know." And we're exactly the same. We get that surfboard, we get that bike, we get this big present and we, we always take it for granted. <laughs> but if I have to buy that surfboard, if I have to buy that bike, buy that car, all of a sudden I'm, I'm cleaning it all the time, I'm taking care of it, I'm upset if there's a little scratch on it, someone looks mm-hmm. at it the wrong way, it's like, oh, no, I cherish <laughs> it more because I've earned it. And it's the same thing for our dogs, but the things that they cherish and the things that they earn are a little bit different to what we do. So, yeah. So, Coda's always accepted the other dogs that you've had transitioning through your, through your place? Yeah, yeah. And um, she puts them in their, in their place? She certainly uh, is the type of dog that um, she's quite happy to play with another dog and uh, her play instigates her social role. Um, so she's, um, she's what I call a bottom fighter. She will always roll on her back and it takes a relatively confident dog to roll on the back and allow themselves to be smashed mm-hmm. by the other dog. So it's, it's not that submissive rolling over. She's instigating play, right? Um, but she has always done that. Um, when I did take her to the dog park as a, as a pup to make sure that I'm keeping up with some of the socialisation, she, um, she would walk up to a pug. Uh, I remember this one day she, she sauntered up to this pug who's tiny right? Mm-hmm. And she smashed her face into the ground and she mashed it into the mud to roll over to try and get lower than this pug. And the pug eventually did play and she's you know, covered in mud. I'm like, oh, great. Now I've got to wash that. <laughs> but um, she would always pull the best out of another dog, which is, which is good. And I'm, if I'm doing board and trains here, nice. then she would, she would help out with that. Um, but I don't do that anymore. Uh, I didn't want to burn her out and it was just too much for me. But one of the things that I did do with her, I took her to, um, took her to a care home for uh, patients with uh, Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. So, that, um, so we, I went to all three stages of wards. So you had, um, you had your early onset of Alzheimer's where the people are in care because um, they're, still in, they're still cognitively with it. Um, but they, they obviously have the symptoms of Alzheimer's. They don't have the long-term memory, those sorts of things. And there's a, there's a few things that, um, that they need help with. And then right the way through to the, uh, the patients who are behaviorally affected by Alzheimer's. Mm-hmm. And then I would take codes in there and, um, 
it was actually really sweet. There was this woman who would, who would count the amount of times that we visited. Um, she couldn't remember Coda's name, but she would recognise codes. And oh, the nice. second time I turned up, um, you, know, you could see it, it made such a huge, profound effect to, to everyone that, that she met. But this woman, she would say, oh, this is the second time that you've saved my life. Mm-hmm. Oh, man, that really, that really mm-hmm. punches you in the feels. So I'd be like, oh. And then she's just telling about all of these hard luck stories and how Coda essentially got her through them. And it took me a little while. But I noticed that she was always incrementing that count. Oh, you've saved me three times. Oh, you've saved my life four times. And it matched perfectly with how many times we'd seen her. And so what Mm. she was saying was like, not that Coda saved her life. She's saying, this means so much to me that I've met you X amount of times. Mm -hmm. And it was was difficult because you can't help but get emotionally invested. And um, Mm. invariably, the the people do pass away. But... um, it, that ended up, um, it just got a little bit too much for codes. She kind of got over it um, in the end. It was, it, there was just too many things going on. So she would turn up and people would just suddenly crowd around her and mm-hmm. you're not really in the position to say everybody back away. It's not like if I have a bunch of school kids yeah. that suddenly crowd me, it's a different situation. Like these are people that are... Losing a little bit of control. Yeah, 100%. And there's not enough of you to be able to safely manage that. And it's not like we were getting mobbed or anything, but uh, you could just, you could tell that the work wasn't, it didn't end up being something that was beneficial for codes and she was getting turned off by it. So Mm -hmm. she was starting to avoid the interactions. So that, um, that means you've got to cut that off because otherwise you're you're pulling her towards something she doesn't want. You're subjecting her to do it. um, And there's no point in, in pushing that. So, uh, I ended up having to stop that, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that, but that was it. Was really sweet. It was nice to see that such a big lug, a big furball, and people that could just bury their face in her, and not just for the patients that were there, but also for the staff who are dealing with some some high pressure situations. And the staff loved her. They'd come out and give her ice creams and stuff like that. And it was it was a nice break from the daily grind. And our hats off because those people have like a really tough job. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, so we did a little bit of that. We come away. I'd started to to, um, to take codes into early childcare as well, so for the zero to four years year old kids. Mm-hmm. So we would educate the kids on how to read a dog, essentially, um, mm-hmm. and how to ask an adult if I can go and touch that dog. Mm-hmm. So they have that. You know, we would set it up that you know. Kids would have to ask teachers who are role playing a parent, and then they would come up to us, as in the kids would have to come up to us as uh, as the dog's owner and say, "Hey, can I pat your dog?" And then they then after we said okay or no, whatever the case may be, they had to say, "Oh, is the dog looking at me or looking away from me?" And then there's a bunch of stuff that we're doing, but the child got to learn through their own experiences. Oh, the dog does want to say hi, or the dog doesn't want to say hi, and we could take it from there. And that, that worked out pretty well because Coda could still have that give or take. If she didn't want the interaction, she could show the language to say, I don't want that interaction with, I don't know, a look away, for example. And then the kid didn't get the pat. So zero to four years, that's a pretty pretty young emotional yeah, absolutely. working with. So you, you, you make it work in the end that everyone gets a pat of Coda. Mm-hmm. She loved it. It was good for her. 
But uh, so she's, she did a little bit of that and oh, I don't know what else have we done, Cades? Yeah, once, we, once I started to get into, um, you know, some of the nose work stuff, that, that kind of changed things around for me. I started to look a little bit more into that and started to take some of the play stuff a little bit more seriously. Um, and then Jenny came up with the daycare. So I've been taking her up there and there's, it's amazing to watch her play with the pups. Um, she is really good at the, the, the pups and the dogs that need the help the most. Those are the ones that mm-hmm. Coda will, will tend to go towards and um, she'll try and pull the best out of that, that dog. I know, she sounds amazing, amazingly grounded and, and just from what you said, I mean, giving, giving so much to the community members from, from, uh, from yeah, one to four till 70 plus. So she's doing the whole yeah. range of things. <laughs> doing the whole game. Huh? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that's yeah, amazing. Um, okay, so does she have any weird habits? So she grooms herself like a cat. That's a malamute thing. Where mm-hmm. she will little, she will just lick all of that fur off. Yeah, um, is that a weird habit? I don't know. It's a bit odd sometimes, but she's always clean. Uh, <laughs> weird habits. What is? She doesn't have too many weird habits that I can think of. No, I don't think so. Well, in some ways, well, she's very good in some ways, and she's very vanilla in other ways. And I would say <laughs> that would be a way that she's quite vanilla in. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I know we mentioned way back in the beginning the uh, yeah. complete the sentence. I can't believe my dog ate, yeah. and we've got yeah, concrete right. in there as the first entry. Um, yeah. You said there so, were some other ones there. There's, there's there's two ones that I'd like to share with you. Um, <laughs> the first one, um, she was going to, she was going to eat both of these things, right? Um, but I, I, I stopped it. <laughs> uh, so where I live at Crackneck, that used to be like. Back in the day, that was like the kissing point, right? That's where you would go up there and it, the car park was full and there's no lights on right? mm-hmm. in the cars, <laughs> yeah? So they close it off now. So all of that traffic is just kind of moved down towards the beach. So come holiday times, the beaches are the kissing points, right? The same things happen, um, but they just it's spread out into a different area. So I'm walking codes. She's on a long line, so she's got a 10-metre line. Mm-hmm. Uh, of just liberty to, to walk with. And we're going past one of these car parks and she just kind of stops. And um, as she stops, she's kind of looking down at the thing. I couldn't quite tell what it was. Um, so I think I know where this is going. <laughs> uh, she just, yeah, yeah, she just picked it up and I've got her to spit it out and I walked over <laughs> to it. Oh, it was gross, man. It was, it was a condom. <laughs> now, if. If she would have been off lead, I would have never picked it. Mm-hmm. But she was on lead, so I'm paying more attention to her. So she's at Liberty. She's got a huge line to, of Liberty to play with. I just, just happened to catch it at the right time. And I mean, she would have swallowed that. And mm-hmm. I wouldn't have known until her belly would have swollen up. Mm-hmm. And then it would have been too late. Right? It would have been all over. So she spat it out. She comes straight over to me. <laughs> Whatever it was I gave her. It was worthwhile. She hasn't ever gone back to that uh-huh. thing again. Yeah, <laughs> Good. So that, that, that was a lifesaver. Um, the next one was probably a little bit more dangerous. Um, I took her for a bushwalk up, up by the reserve by me. And it's, part of it is like a big fire trail to access like the PowerPoints. 
are the, the power lines. Oops. And the other part of it is just a, like a single pathway. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's just a single track. So I've got, um, at the time, my, uh, my late dad's dog. I had him on lead. I had, uh, we, we had both of our daughters and my wife were behind me. Codes is charging up ahead. She's six metres ahead of us. And she suddenly makes this real smart U-turn as she goes over, over this little, little downward step. And she comes up and she's got like this long belt in her mouth. Oh. And this, this belt is moving and mm-hmm. it's moving fast. And she's got this juvenile brown snake in her mouth. Oh, no, not a brown. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, a brown one. So I'm just thinking, oh, that's it. She's history. So I thought, oh, don't lose your cool because my late dad's dog, was he was a nervous wreck. So I just told Codes to out Snake and she's like looking at me going, no, no way, man. I've got <laughs> so she's shaking the snake. So I yelled out at her and that's when she spat it out. And this thing, man, it must have been three or four foot and it was straight up and it's just doing the whole waggle dance thing. And so I told her to get back. I'm thinking, man, she could be bitten by a juvenile brown snake here. Mm-hmm. I'm not a snake expert. It could have just been some sort of a brown python for all I know, mm-hmm. completely non-toxic. But I'm like, man, I don't know. I've got to treat That's, this like it's a brown snake. Yeah, so better never to take the chance. Yeah, so I had a, had a quick squeeze, couldn't find anything, figured out that the head was was in her mouth. The snake slithered away. There wasn't any damage to the snake at all that, that I could see. Mm-hmm. There weren't any bite marks in her mouth. So I thought, oh, she, I don't know. She's not showing any demeanor changes. So we just kept on walking. Everything was fine. She's obviously, she's still here. She never had any toxic effects. But um, uh, yeah. I was going to say so, good luck trying to find bite marks on a mouth. <laughs> on, on a malamute, yeah. That's what I was saying. Like, was, it was, uh, the, the luck in unluck um, was that the head was in the mouth. So mm. if the snake would have bitten, it, the bite mark would have been in the roof of the Inside, mouth or the yep. tongue or something like that or in the gums and it should have been easy to see, I'm thinking. But, um, yeah, she's still here. She was totally fine. She stopped the snake from biting. But man, that was, that was scary. Mm. I literally thought she was going to either eat the snake or she was going to get bitten by the snake mm. or she was going to eat the condom and both of those things, that's life Not stopping. But I guess it's, uh, yeah. It's fortunate that she had the concrete so she could be tough enough to deal with those situations. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So part part of the new puppy diet. (laughs) That's it. Yeah, give us some concrete. We tell each other all the time, right? (laughs) (laughs) Well, Stu, thank you very, very much for sharing all about Coda and more and about yourself. So it's uh, really appreciated. I hope everyone uh, enjoys this episode. Yeah, thank you very much. Thanks for having me. It's nice to have a chat. No problem at all. And we'll um, catch you a little bit later on. Take care. Yeah, no worries. Too easy. See ya. (laughs) So, Stu, before we go, do you want to give your uh, business a plug? Sure. So, I'm a professional dog trainer. Um, My company or my my business name is Barefoot Paws. You can find me at barefootpaws.com.au. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, uh, YouTube. get in contact, uh, yeah, dealing with behavioural issues in your dogs from fear to, to aggression and everything in between. Um, and 
focusing on skill work to be able to give you a puppy that you can take out to a coffee shop, hang out at the beach, those sorts of things. Fantastic. Anywhere on the Central Coast? And you're also doing some online stuff, aren't you? Yeah, so I'm doing uh, a lot of online stuff at the moment, um, particularly with the whole COVID thing. Um, it's also kind of going to be the future of how we do things as well. So you may as well get on the front end of that curve. Um, but I cover an area um, down from Brooklyn, basically right the way up through to Newcastle. So um, up towards sort of Maitland Way. So it's a pretty big area that I cover. Thank you very much again. No, thank you. Thanks very much. Did that go too long? Jump over to the Relax Dog Podcast Facebook page and let me know. And uh, feel free to make comments on anything. I'd love your help and advice. Have a great week. And remember, your dog is family.